Well, hopefully all of you have found the book of Philemon by now. Um, before I was going to have Robert read that, I was just going to say, let your, ball, let your Bible fall open to the book of Hebrews and go one book to the left and, and you'll find it. But um, let's pray first and then we'll dive into the book of Philemon. Well, Father, again, it is, it is our great privilege, Lord, to be here, Lord, sitting under your word, Lord, and we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess, we don't have to contrive the ways in which that we are to please you and the ways in which we are to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. We thank you that you have spoken to us. And Lord, we thank you for all of your word, Lord. We thank you that all of your word is inspired by God and is profitable for us. And so we thank you for the book of Philemon, Lord. And we thank you that as we see in this book, as we have a call to forgiveness, as a, a call to forgive, we thank you that we have had Jesus Christ, the great forerunner, go before us and to show us how to forgive. We thank you that Christ has first forgiven us. And because of this, we ought to be willing and ready and desiring to forgive others. So, Lord, I pray that this book, Lord, in these two weeks that we will have to look at it, Lord, I pray that it will be to that end, Lord, that we as your people who are forgiven will be more than ready to forgive. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, I'm going to have two weeks. Uh, I'm going to have the pulpit for two weeks, and I'm going to take those two weeks to try to work through the entire book of Philemon. Now, uh, Brother Robert read for us was really the, the, cru- the crux interpretum, as they would call it, the, the main uh, verses of the book. But I thought, uh, because it is a short book, that we would take the time just to read through the entire letter together. It's short. It's only 25 verses. And so I thought to give the verses that Robert read uh, some context, let's just read through this letter to familiarize ourselves with it. The book of Philemon, in verse 1, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated you for a while, that you would have him back forever, and no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even yourself as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also, prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, as you may have noticed, the book of Philemon is, is quite unique. It's, it's a unique book and letter of the New Testament and even unique to the Apostle Paul's letters itself. Now, one way in which this is a unique book is that it's addressed primarily to this one man, to this one individual, Philemon, about his one in particular situation that he finds himself in. That in of itself is, is particular to Paul's letters. Um, normally in Paul's letters, he's, he's writing more general epistles. He's writing, even if he, as he addresses it to one person, he's usually addressing a, a concern of, of the church in general or even of the churches in general. But here, the Apostle Paul finds himself writing a very personal letter to one brother in particular about his situation. And I thought that I should just note that um, although that is unique to the way Paul normally uh, takes up his pen, we should not be surprised that the Apostle Paul uh, is doing something like this, that he is from prison writing uh, a letter to one individual person. And that shouldn't surprise us because, for example, uh, just let me read to you what Paul says of himself from Acts chapter 20, verse 20, where he said, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and from teaching you publicly and from house to house. And then he goes on to say that because of this, that he is innocent of all men's blood because he did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now I read that because it shows us that Paul did not just um, see himself, nor did he have simply a, a public ministry. But the Apostle Paul was willing to minister personally to each one from house to house, admonishing each one with tears. He was willing to have uh, this kind of, of work with the individual members of his church. He was concerned with their individual situations. And in that way, we see how, once again, the Apostle Paul is just uh, what you could consider the the quintessential pastor. He, he followed the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in this way and that he's willing to leave the 99 to go bring back the one who has an issue. Um, another way that this book is unique is that, as you may have noticed, it's not explicitly theological. It's not explicitly theological. And although I believe that every word the Apostle Paul says um, definitely has biblical theology behind it, um, we just don't see in this book any extended uh, diatribes concerning theology. There's no extended discussions of the deity of Christ, of the atonement, of eschatology. There's no discussions of these things that are so common to the Apostle Paul's letters and books. No, Philemon is different. It's a very practical book, it's a very practical book based on a real-life situation that this brother finds himself in. Philemon's size is also unique to uh, Paul's letters. It's the shortest of Paul's letters. And I think it's because of all these unique characteristics that Philemon has, it, it plays into what is maybe another uh, unique characteristic of this book and that it seems to be maybe like Jude it seems to be maybe just one of those uh, most neglected and most unread books of the New Testament. Now, since Brother Lynn was willing to put everyone on the spot in Sunday school, I thought I might uh, do the same thing. Who has read the book of Philemon in the last year? Before I said that I was going to preach it, has anybody... No, I didn't know if maybe that was the motivation, but... Um, has anybody heard a sermon or a teaching from the book of Philemon in the last year? A couple of you? Okay. Well, that's, that's probably, I mean, that's kind of the point that I'm getting to, um, is that it seems to be a, ne a neglected book, maybe because there aren't those 
um, lengthy theological discussions in it. Maybe it just seems to be just a, a very practical situation concerning one guy um, whose, whose slave has run away from him. And because of the brevity of the book, it's very easy to skip over on your way to Hebrews. So all of these things could play into why uh, Philemon seems to be neglected. But I just thought that I would say, and it goes the same with Jude, one way that you can protect yourself from prying Bible teachers who ask questions like, have you read this book in the last year, is by committing yourself to a, a Bible reading plan through the Bible that will take you through the Bible every year. Um, I, I highly recommend doing that. There's many different ones. There's many different ways to do that. Um, I'm going through a, a chronological Bible reading through the year, and I think those things are so helpful it keeps you accountable. It keeps you disciplined. I like the chronological studies because it, it helps you see the relation between the Ezra's and the Nehemiah's and the Zechariah's and how they all are speaking to the same um, uh, contextual and historical realities. So um, none of these books are to be neglected. None of these books are to be neglected, even these small ones. So I just encourage you to uh, make sure that you are disciplined in, in and reading through the entire counsel of God. Um, but this letter here, Philemon's letter, as I said, it's, it's dealing with a particular situation. But as you consider what's going on here, it's a very fascinating situation that we have. Um, it's a situation that's uncommon to us. It, it's definitely unique to us. Here we have a runaway slave who has fled his master, He's fled over a thousand miles away to Rome, which is where many slaves would flee to, hoping to get lost in the shuffle of the big city of Rome. But as he's fled his master, he's fled to Rome, this slave has become converted to Christ through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And not only that, but now this slave is being returned back to his master. He's being sent back to his master, and that master is now being required by the Apostle Paul to forgive the slave who wronged him by leaving, by leaving him. So in all of this, there's, there's many interesting aspects to all of this drama that the Apostle Paul has now found himself willfully involved himself with. And as we look through all this, I, I think it, it's a wonder that we don't uh, read this book uh, more often because it's quite the situation. And I think as we move our way through it, we will grow to appreciate what exactly all is going on in the book of Philemon. So the game plan is for today, we're going to look through the, the first 10 verses. Um, hopefully we'll at least get to verse 10. But what we're seeing in the first 10 verses is this. Um, I'm describing it in general as the gracious approach of one Christian brother to another as he's seeking out for reconciliation and forgiveness. We're seeing the Apostle Paul give us an example of a, a gracious approach um, in the approaching of a brother who needs to be willing to forgive. And so in today's sermon, we're going to look at three aspects of this, of this approach by the Apostle Paul. First, we're going to see his greeting. Then we're going to look at uh, Paul's articulation of his prayers for this brother who he's reaching out to. And then thirdly, um, in verses 8 through 10, we're really going to get to the heart, to the crux of the matter, the Apostle Paul's call for forgiveness. So that's where we're going today. And then let's just uh, let's dive in here uh, by way of introduction to this greeting found in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Well, the Apostle Paul, of course, needs no real introduction to us, but he is, in fact, the author of this very personal letter. And Paul the Apostle refers to himself here as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I think it's important to note what he doesn't designate himself as because he normally does designate himself as Paul the Apostle of Christ Jesus. But that's that's not what he says here. This letter is different, and therefore this introduction by the Apostle Paul is unique and different for several reasons. First, as I said, Paul is writing a very personal letter to this dear brother about what is, as you can imagine, a very sensitive subject. 
a very sensitive subject for him. And so we have uh, simply one letter from one brother to another. And therefore, the Apostle Paul opens it up uh, differently. Uh, we see that, that the Apostle Paul, as he's making this approach to his brother, um, he's doing this with as much grace, with, it, with as much tact as humanly possible. And apparently, as you can imagine, stating one's apostolic authority right out of the gate um, might have put Philemon on his heels, caused him to get def defensive about what the Apostle Paul was saying to him. And so overall, I think Paul is just intentionally being extremely thoughtful and gracious about his approach here. So instead of the Apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul refers to himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul does not simply mean that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus um, in, in, in simply or in, in, this, in any sense of metaphorical way as he does when he says that he's a, a slave of Christ Jesus. But what Paul means is quite literally that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. How is that? Well, Philemon is one of the prison epistles. It's become his to become known and, and, and grouped with uh, three other letters that are known as the prison epistles. There's four letters that Paul wrote from his Roman imprisonment dating around 60 to 62 AD, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. These are known as Paul's prison epistles that were wrote from his Roman imprisonment. Now, for the Apostle Paul to say that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus certainly does not hold any kind of negative connotations. He's not viewing uh, Christ Jesus standing over him as his prison guard, tightening the shackles around his hands and his feet. That's not at all what he has in mind. But what he's saying is that his imprisonment is in the cause of Christ Jesus, and it's for the sake of Christ Jesus. Let me read to you how he describes this reality in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Paul says there, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so it's because of this that the Apostle Paul is perfectly content being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I think if, if we only believed in the sovereignty of God like the Apostle Paul did, if we believed and saw our trials as the Apostle Paul did as being for the cause of Christ, I think that we all too might suffer a little differently, that we might suffer with a a more righteous and godly and biblical perspective that we might, as Paul did, that we might suffer well. I think it's, it's helpful to see the, the reminder that the Apostle Paul had a, a very um, real, uh, real, a helpful, thorough doctrine of the sovereignty and providence of God that if he's in prison, he's there for Christ. He had that view about every situation of his life and, and we too should share in that perspective. Now, who else do we see in verse 1 here with the Apostle Paul? Who else is present with him even in the midst of his imprisonment? It's none other than Paul's most trusted ally, Timothy. Timothy, the only man who Paul said had the, the same kindred spirit as the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he says that, that Timothy is the only brother who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the churches, even over against his own interest. And so the Apostle Paul is surely glad to have Timothy with him. He's surely comforted by the presence of this good and faithful brother, Timothy. And so with the presence of Timothy, Paul says to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. And to the church in your house. So, as I previously mentioned, 
Um, this letter is primarily written to Philemon, but it's interesting how uh, these others are mentioned here in this greeting, that their names are, are likewise uh, included. Most of the commentators believe that this sister Aphia is most likely Philemon's wife, and that Archippus is Philemon's son, Philemon's son who Paul here refers to as his fellow soldier, his fellow soldier. Paul refers to him as such because Archippus is apparently a minister in this church. He's apparently a minister in this church, maybe an elder in the church. Um, we know this because of Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, where the apostle Paul there references Archippus and tells him, he tells him there, he says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And so we see that, that this brother has a ministry to be fulfilled in this church. Now, although Paul begins by acknowledging um, the entire family, as well as the church at large here, I think you could see as we read through the letter with all of the singular pronouns that Paul is speaking primarily to Philemon in particular, but uh, we will see next week for sure why I believe that the Apostle Paul uh, brings in all of these brothers and sisters into this letter. We will see why that is next week. So what about this man whom uh, the Apostle Paul commits and devotes an entire canonical letter to? What about Philemon? Well, we learn much about this man in this letter right here, um, even in these first few verses. Some of the most uh, significant things to point out about this man are right here in these first two verses. In verse 1, Paul refers to Philemon as a beloved brother and fellow worker. A beloved brother and fellow worker. In the words beloved brother, we see Paul's genuine concern, his genuine care, his genuine love for this brother. And as a fellow worker, we get a glimpse, if you drop down to verse 7, we get a glimpse of some of Philemon's work. In verse 7, Paul says, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Now, Philemon has obviously been at work caring for the church of God. He's been refreshing the hearts of the brethren. Now, we aren't told specifically how that he's doing this, but however he's doing it, it's effectual. And the Apostle Paul is thankful for his service to the church. And as you think about this work that the Apostle Paul acknowledges is at work in Philemon's life, what greater work can you do for the church of God than to be described as, as, as performing a work like this, refreshing the hearts of the saints? That's a way that, that I desire to be described. That's a way that I pray you would desire. And of course, there's many ways to refresh the hearts of the saints, so all I would say is find some and do them. Refresh the hearts of the saints. The Apostle Paul was pleased with this work. Now, another aspect of his service, uh, of his service that needs to be recognized is what uh, Paul says in verse 2. He says that the church meets in his house. Now, I don't know if that was as much work uh, for Philemon as it was for Aphia, his wife, but Either way, they were doing this work of, of being hospitable, of having the church meet in their house. And, and as we can also deduce from the fact that Philemon has a house big enough to house the church, and as uh, some other clues that we'll pick up from this letter as well, we'll see that Philemon is most likely a pretty wealthy man. He's pretty well-to-do. And in that wealth, we see that Philemon seems to be just the kind of man that the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Timothy 6 when he there speaks about how the rich are to be in the present world. Paul said there about the rich, he said that they're to do good with their riches, that they're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so we see Philemon as a rich man seems to be uh, the exemplary Christian, the exemplary rich Christian in this respect, and that he's using the blessings that God has given him to bless and further the kingdom of God. Another helpful fact that we find out about Philemon is down in verse 19, 
where here we find out as, as the Apostle Paul is pleading for Philemon to extend forgiveness to Onesimus, we see there that the Apostle Paul is able to bargain for this forgiveness with the fact that, he, as he says, Philemon owes Paul his own self. Philemon owes Paul his own self, simply meaning that Philemon owes Paul for his very salvation. Now, obviously, at some point throughout the Apostle Paul's uh, ministry endeavors, throughout his missionary endeavors, at some point, uh, this man Philemon encountered the Apostle Paul, most likely probably as the Apostle Paul moved through uh, Ephesus and through the other regions of Macedonia, he, he encountered Philemon, and Philemon was uh, converted to Christ and was given the gift of eternal life. And so we see another aspect of this letter that Paul and Philemon have this, this history, this close and intimate relationship and history together. So that's the setting here. We're in this church, a church located in Philemon's house, which uh, I just note is where all churches met um, until about the 313 AD because it wasn't until Constantine's Edict of Milan that made Christianity a, a, a legal religion that the churches started to form in, in public places where um, at that point there was no fear of persecution. So the majority of churches out of necessity met in the houses and Philemon's house had one of these churches and this church was located in the city of Colossae, the city of Colossae. Now, as I, as I learned this and, and, and came to, to see this, this was one of the most interesting um, things that I learned in studying the book of Philemon is uh, the connection that Philemon has and this church has with the city of Colossae, being that that's where it's it's located. I want you to see this connection and how significant it is by turning to Colossians. Turn your Bible to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Let me just read verses 7 through 9. Where here it says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, does that name ring a bell? And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who was one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. So what we see in the situation painted for us here is that our runaway slave Onesimus um, is in Rome with Paul, with this man Tychicus, and now they're returning to the city of Colossae, to the church in Colossae, with two letters in hand. The letter to the, the, the which as we know is the book of Colossians, as well as the letter we're reading today, the book of Philemon. And so there's an intimate relationship between the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon. There are two letters that are both going to the same church from Paul, from prison, at the same time, being carried by the same brothers. I just throw in the other interesting fact that along with those letters was the letter um, to the Ephesians church as well because Ephesians 6.21 tells us that Tychicus and Onesimus were carrying that letter with them as well. So eventually the brothers would stop at Ephesus they would leave the, with the church at Ephesus the letter um, that Paul has written to them, and then Tychicus and Onesimus will arrive in Colossae with both letters, Colossians and Philemon, Colossians being the letter that's addressed more generally to the whole church, but they will also have this personal letter written specifically to Philemon. Now, it's because of that connection historically that um, if you ever go to study Philemon or if you ever go to study Colossians, generally, anytime you grab a, a commentary for one or the other, it's going to include both. Commentaries are going to include, if somebody's doing the work and, or, and is commentating and doing the work of going through Colossians, they're also going to go through Philemon and, and vice versa. And they do that because these books are so intertwined and so con uh, connected due to the
the context of them both being addressed to the exact same church at the exact same time. Now, for me, I love seeing um, not only the organic nature of how um, God's story is played out throughout all of the books of the Bible, um, like through biblical theology, for instance, but I also love seeing the organic nature of in the relation of the actual books and letters to themselves and, and how God has providentially formed one book um, and how all these books are providentially constructed and how God has providentially uh, worked his word um, into the canon of scripture. I, I love to see that. It's very interesting to me. But this is where we are. And so Paul continues here his greetings in verse 3 with the words grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those are common words that the Apostle Paul will write. That's a common uh, 12 Greek words that he will include in many of his greetings. But I don't believe that these words are in any way uh, throwaway words. Um, I think these words that the Apostle Paul uh, continues to write and, and, and gives to all of the churches that he writes to are significant. Uh, grace and peace represent some of the greatest realities that a sinner uh, could ever know. And the fact that as we see here in verse 3 that these blessings are coming from two distinct members of the very Godhead um, adds to the weight and adds to the significance of how important grace and peace are to receive. Um, Paul continues to include these words in his letters to the churches um, because believers don't simply need grace and peace at conversion, uh, but we perpetually need grace and peace every day of our lives. Uh, this brother Philemon uh, is especially in need of grace and peace as he's being called to do, what, what, which is what a, one of the most difficult things that prideful human beings can be asked to do, and that is to forgive someone who has sinned against you. Philemon may need this grace and peace from God, especially because he's been sinned against Onesimus uh, in a public way. Uh, the whole church would have known that Onesimus has fled from Philemon, and nothing makes forgiveness more difficult than it being a public uh, sin and a public wronging. So the Apostle Paul knows that Philemon needs to be reminded of the grace and peace that's provided for us by our Savior. Continuing on here in verse 4, uh, we are kind of entering a new section of the letter where here we have Paul's articulation of his constant prayers that he's been offering up for Philemon. And Paul wants Philemon to know that he has been praying for him. He's going to record for us some of the aspects of his prayers. And as I read through this, I just thought um, this is just such a gracious approach from, by the Apostle Paul to open up his letter so thoroughly in this way. I think uh, Philemon would have had to have been a pretty hard-hearted brother not to uh, offer up forgiveness after all of this introduction that the Apostle Paul is giving. But this is what Paul says in verse 4 as he mentions his prayers. He says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Now, the first thing to stop and notice here is just how often we find the Apostle Paul uh, using, again, these similar words to other brothers and sisters in other churches. I wrote down just four examples in, in the book of Romans. There Paul said first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. To the Colossians, in general, he says, I'm praying always for you. To the Philippians, I'm always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. To the Corinthians, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think that the Apostle Paul is lying. I don't think that he's exaggerating his prayer life? Not at all. I think that the Apostle Paul was a real Christian who really prayed. And he prayed for all the brethren. And we are certainly to imitate him as he imitates Christ in this way. And how much more necessary to pray for the brethren when there are issues, 
when there is problems, when there has been sin in the camp. Uh, We see here the Apostle Paul, before he confronts Philemon, he prays for his brother. And I just thought as Paul is leaving this example for us, what a What a hopeful and good rule of thumb to put in place before any time before you come to a a brother or sister is to pray for them. Pray for them before you come to them because honest and sincere prayer for the brother will ensure that uh, your heart is right, that your motives are right, that you have their good in mind. And the prayer will humble you and ask for God's mercy on not only yourself but on the brother or sister that you're going to. So Paul prays first, and he continues that prayer in verse 4. And in there he's saying how Paul prays for Philemon and that these prayers are prayers of thanksgiving. And it's verse 5 that gives us the reason for the thanksgiving. He says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now, If you're really paying attention, if you're looking at Paul's words here, you may catch what seems to be an awkward statement. I'll just read it again. Paul says that I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now, we have no problem understanding Paul saying that Philemon has love and faith towards the Lord Jesus, but it reads here to say that he has love and faith towards the Lord Jesus and love and faith towards all the saints as well. That's interesting. We don't normally speak of having love towards or having faith towards all the saints, but there is an explanation for the awkwardness that our good and literal translations cause, and this is simply known as a a chiastic structure in the grammar of the sentence. Um, you will notice these kinds of, of uh, grammatical structures being referenced, especially in Paul's writings. If you just take an exegetical commentary, flip through it, what you're going to notice are X's being drawn with, with words uh, on both ends of the X's. Now, the X is there. The, X, the, the, the letter X in Greek is called chi. Therefore, these are called chiastic structures. But what the X is illustrating is just how it's common for biblical authors to um, structure their sentences in a crisscross fashion. Um, They can be referencing one thing at the beginning of the verse that actually references something at the end of the verse, which to us is not natural. That could be confusing for us. Like, for instance, look at verse 5. Because uh, in this chiastic structure, the referent for Philemon's love is actually at the very end of the sentence. Uh, The love is being addressed towards all the saints, and conversely, Paul's referent for Philemon's faith is, of course, towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if, all, if chiastic structures confuse you, I also included um, the parallel in the book of Colossians where Paul says it a little more straightforwardly for the Western ears, where there he says, I've been praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for all the saints. So... Um, We understand what Paul is saying, but in all of that, of course, the most important thing to realize and to grasp as as we're reading Paul's words here is that what the Apostle Paul hears about Philemon all the way in Rome is nothing but good reports. The Apostle Paul is hearing nothing but good things about this brother. And that opens up another question that, that you could ask is, how is Paul getting these reports, being that he is in Rome 1,200 miles away? Well, one way in which he can be hearing about Philemon's uh, love for all the saints and his faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ is at the, at the closing of the book of Colossians in Colossians 4.12, Paul mentions the fact that uh, Epaphras is there with him in Rome. And Paul refers to Epaphras as he's writing to, to the to the Colossians, he says that Epaphras, who is one of your own number, just simply meaning that Epaphras, who is with Paul in Rome, is a member of the Colossian church. And so certainly Epaphras could have relayed um, the faithfulness of Philemon to the Apostle Paul. But we mustn't forget that someone even closer than Epaphras is here with the Apostle Paul 
and that's Onesimus himself. And being that Onesimus is now converted to Christ, uh, we can imagine his, the, the, the proper and good and new perspective that he might have towards this master whom he fled from. As an unbeliever, Onesimus probably resented Philemon for, for many ways. He, he probably couldn't stand the preaching that he was required to hear from the church and from the church members. He probably couldn't stand to see Philemon giving his money to the church. Um, he probably felt as if he deserved more of that money for his labors and for his work. But now Onesimus has seen the light, and I'm sure that Onesimus could just go on and on about the faithfulness of Philemon. He could tell the Apostle Paul how godly of a man he was, how fair, how righteous he was with his servants. Um, Paul has nothing negative to mention here about Philemon. He's obviously a faithful man who's above reproach, and, and the Apostle Paul gives God thanks for this fact. Now, Paul continues here in verse 6 with this thanksgiving and this prayer for his brother in verse 6, he says, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Now, because verse 5 was such a doozy with the chiastic sentence structure and all of that. I don't want to get bogged down in what are the difficulties of uh, translating verse 6, but there's a, consistent, a consensus among the commentators that verse 6 is indeed the most difficult uh, verse to translate in this letter. Now, the difficulty lies in the fact that several of the words in that sentence um, can have a wide array of meanings, koinonia, pisteos, they can have different meanings depending on context and in relation to one another. The sentence construction, sentence order is not obvious in the Greek text. Um, but what is clear, and you can see it in our, in our renderings, is that the Apostle Paul's prayer is this, that whatever this fellowship, uh, fellowship of faith that Philemon has, the Apostle Paul's desire is that it would grow, that it would become more effective, and that it would increase. Now, the Apostle Paul would say that because he is never content with either his godliness or the godliness of the brethren. He's never content. It's like when Paul, I just put an example, another example of this, and how Paul, as he's boasting upon the great love that the Thessalonians have, he, he goes on to say this in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, he says, Now, as to the love of the brethren, we have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. The Apostle Paul desires the increase, even of Philemon's love for the saints. And, and all of this increase is certainly not for the sake of increase, but as the end of verse 6 says, it's for Christ's sake. It's for Christ's sake. Uh, what Philemon will be doing by forgiving Onesimus is that he will be glorifying Christ Jesus by living out the forgiveness that he himself has received from Christ Jesus. That's what he has the opportunity to do here. And we see in this that this difficulty, this pressure, this hardship of being sinned against um, has not been put on Philemon to ruin his day. It's simply an opportunity given to him by God to display the thankfulness and the ability and the grace that Christians have to forgive. This is the perspective that we're to have of all of our trials that come our way in life. We must see our trials as opportunities. Our trials are opportunities that God himself has laid before us that we might take advantage of them and glorify him in them. Every hardship, every trial is sovereignly dispensed by the very hand of God that we may respond in faith and in faithfulness and will glorify Him. Now, let's just peek 
Um, let's just peek then for the sake of time. Let's peek into this next last portion, last section, which is the transitional portion of this letter where Paul really begins to get to the heart of the issue. And then we'll look at the, the rest of it next week. But let's see here in verse 8 where Paul says, therefore, and the, the therefore is just based on all of that generous greeting, all of the gracious prayers that Paul has offered. Paul says in verse 8, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you, for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my pr- imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. Now, I'll just note the fact that what is so significant about this transition occurring here in verses 8 through 10, where the Apostle Paul is, is finally getting to where he's going. What's so significant is that this is where he's been going the whole time. He's been working to get to this appeal for Onesimus. That is the occasion of this letter. It's Onesimus. But what's interesting that it's not until verse 10 that the Apostle Paul actually mentions this brother by name. But I think this is intentional. I think Paul is obviously working into uh, the crux of the matter, and he's just demonstrating great tact in addressing this issue to Philemon. Paul has just up until this point been preparing Philemon to deal with the situation at hand and preparing him to forgive. So all of this is that we've been looking at is Paul's gracious approach and call for forgiveness. So as we continue the study, I believe we're going to see how wise Paul is in doing this, and we'll see how exactly he continues. But what have we learned just simply from the introduction to this letter? I listed a couple of things. First, we see that Christianity is not a problem-free ticket or a magic carpet ride into heaven. There will still be problems in the Christian life and great difficulties and sin and problems that we must deal with. Um, Even for the Apostle Paul, even for Philemon, who the Apostle Paul describes as a beloved brother, even this beloved brother has problems. We see that these problems and trials are nothing more than God's opportunities for us to glorify Him through obedience and maintaining Christ's likeness in our responses to our trials. And we also see that one, one person's sin causes trials for the many. Uh, Onesimus' sin is causing work for Paul, work for Philemon, work for the church, and work for himself. But as we see here, as Paul has this trial and as he uses it, as he ought, as an opportunity to glorify God, we see Paul the Apostle here is masterfully portraying for us how we're to handle the difficult situations in life. Paul's showing us here how we can be peacemakers in the church by seeking every opportunity to bring about reconciliation amongst the brethren, that the brethren might dwell in unity. Because of Onesimus' sin, because of his sin, he has the difficult calling of living out a life of genuine repentance. Onesimus now has the difficult call of returning to his master whom he has sinned against. He has the difficult calling of, of keeping Christ's commandment through the Apostle Paul to regard his own master as being worthy of all honor. Why? so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Easier said than done. Runaway slaves under Roman law were up for the death penalty. So this is a difficult calling indeed for Onesimus, but a great opportunity to display a complete trust in his good and sovereign God, to be righteous come what may. Lastly, we see the call for Philemon, for Philemon to take this difficulty that God has placed on him to give of the forgiveness that he himself has received from the Lord. The book of Philemon is 
Christianity in the real world. It's an example of how to be Christ-like in real-world trouble and how to see our trials as opportunities. John MacArthur, in his sermons through Philemon, um, by way of motivating us to apply this letter, um, he said it like this. He says, We are never more like God than when we forgive. We are never more like God than when we forgive. So in other words, we're never more like Christ himself than when we humble ourselves, sacrifice our lofty estates, and forgive. Christ-likeness is, is what our aim is to be, and through forgiveness we have the opportunity to do that. So next week we will, we will dive in. I, I promise we will finish this letter, but we will get in to see how all of this develops next week. But as for now, let's, let's pray. <clears throat> well, Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you even for the practical sections, Lord. And we thank you that you have given us, even here in the life of Philemon, that we get to share in his trial, that we get to see how he and Onesimus, the sinner, and, and the Apostle Paul, the great caregiver of the church, we get to see how we are to handle ourselves in the midst of our sin and the sin of the brethren, Lord. And so we thank you for this practical example of the need for forgiveness and how to forgive and how to approach the brethren when forgiveness is needed. And Father, I thank you that it is good for us to be slaves of a good master. We thank you that we have you as our Lord. We thank you that we can trust you in everything. And whatever, whatever providence you have for our lives, Lord, we thank you that we can trust that it is good not only, for, not only for your glory, Lord, but for our good as well. Lord, help us to trust you in our lives, come what may, Lord, whether our lives are pleasant or troublesome, Lord. Let us think rightly. Let us, please by your Spirit, remind us of even a text such as Philemon to help us think rightly that we may glorify and honor you with our lives, Lord. Do this work for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.